Hello, and welcome to Gay for Horror, the show where not all the movies are gay, but I sure am. How are you? <laughs> um, okay, so this is one that I have not planned at all. Usually I don't plan that much, you may have noticed, but usually I do have a note, I do a set of notes that to give me like four things I wanted to say. I don't have that this time, but but this is sort of more along the lines of when I saw ICU, which is still a hard title to say out loud, uh, but when I saw ICU and I just wanted to talk about it, um, so I'm going to do that. So, so anyway, I just saw a movie called Zombie Child, and I'm not at all clear on what the release strategy is for the movie. I think it, it probably is in very limited release of some kind. Uh, and I know it will be on digital soon enough. I don't believe it's on digital yet, but I think it. I think this is going to be mostly on digital. Uh, so I'm happy to kind of say some words about it, and then maybe whenever it gets available on a, a large platform, uh, some people can can find their way to it. So the drill here is pretty much same as always. I am going to do a non-spoiler review and just tell you everything that I would say to someone who is about to see the movie or that I'm trying to enthusiastically convince to see the movie. Uh, and then I'm going to ring a physical bell, which sounds like this. And then I'll do spoilers. And I know I, I could just tell you that I'm switching to spoilers, but the bell makes it festive. Okay, so this one, I don't I don't have a ton of great words yet. Uh, I think this is absolutely a movie that I saw, and I, I mostly want to talk about out loud because I don't know what I think about it in a lot of ways. I know that I really, really enjoyed it. There are some sublime, wonderful things that make me so happy. Uh, and, uh, and spoiler alert, one of those things is choral numbers, like a choir. You know, if you listen to the Knives and Skin episode, if you get a girl's choir in a horror movie, it's over. <laughs> it's fully over. I'm, I'm there. I'm with you. I don't care what you do next. If you have a girl's choir, I want to watch it. Uh, so this one is a French movie that is i'm gonna fully embrace that it's a horror movie it is definitely not just to give the information for those who have strong feelings about what is and isn't horror it is not a recurring well-timed scare horror movie in the traditional sense meaning that it's not a movie where every 10 minutes something scares you and the appeal of the movie is the repetitive pattern of scares which I think more or less is kind of what's become synonymous with horror as a genre. It is really a, a historical drama of sorts with strong horror elements. Um, and basically, you know, obviously from the title, the strong horror elements are zombies. And <laughs> but it takes place at a, a French girls' school, like a very um, prestigious and to borrow the term from Elaine Stritch, whom I love, piss elegant, uh, private girls boarding school. I try to say girls and boarding, so I said gourd. It is a gourd school. No, um, it is a girls boarding school. That's how words sound. Uh, it's an all girls boarding school. Now, now they're just soft. Fully unusual. Um, <laughs> very historic, um, founded by Napoleon and uh, requires like medals of honor uh, by parents to even be admitted, right? I don't know if any such school really exists or what the basis for the school is. Um, but needless to say, it's an incredibly exclusive uh, club. Uh, and basically, uh, there is one girl, Melissa who is of Haitian descent in this very universally white, uh, very, very, very piss elegant, uh, exclusive girl school. Uh, and simultaneous to that story, uh, which is very much about Melissa trying to weave her way into this very homogenous white world of an all girls private school, uh, simultaneous to that, there is the historical narrative of a 1962 
Haitian zombie slave. Uh, and I'm going to be totally mysterious about the nature of that story because I think part of the appeal of the movie is, or not the appeal so much, part of the goal of the movie is to keep that evolving. So I won't say exactly what's going on, but there is this parallel narrative, which is uh, the narrative of a zombie slave who is who dies, who gets after death resurrected to work on a sugarcane plantation. And who, uh, you know, as far as I think is within the realm of non-spoilers, who, per, you know, perhaps is, is trying to figure out where to go next or how to get out of that situation to go somewhere else. And perhaps think about whether he could return to his regular life. Uh, and those two narratives go side by side and they, they work in tandem and they influence each other tremendously. Now, if you don't know this, now I will say I'm not, I'm not an expert on zombies. Uh, that's not, that, that's not the one I know the most about. Uh, but I do know a little bit enough to say that, you know, if you have followed the history of zombies and horror movies, you might know that really early zombie horror movies, things like White Zombie or I Walked with the Zombie or even The Ghost Breakers um, with Bob Hope, uh, there's a tradition of Haitian voodoo, that, that that is the sort of cultural background that Hollywood poaches the zombie from. And I think probably uh, accurately, it's accurate to say that it wildly misrepresents history and misrepresents the culture. Uh, but that's the sort of kernel of the idea that becomes the zombie on screen. Uh, with Night of the Living Dead, it really takes a sharp turn. And George Romero's zombie really becomes such a dominant cultural idea of what a zombie is that it kind of changes the path of the zombie for many years to come and so zombies really stop having any connection to haitian voodoo or any racialized history and really just become you know zombification becomes the consequence of radiation or virus that's like a big that's a big tradition and also you know we if the number one i think synonymous uh, theme with zombies that most people think about if you stop people on the street and ask them most people associate the zombie trend with some sort of commentary on consumption or capitalism right and that comes mostly from dawn of the dead which is the 1978 sequel to the living dead uh, which takes place in a shopping mall where you have zombies kind of walking down this <laughs> the aisles of big box department stores uh and 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 that has had a very lasting impression on people's thoughts of zombies this movie does a sort of beautiful what's it where it just sort of it really takes everything that's happened to zombies for many many years and um tries to recenter the whole kind of zombie narrative around the history of haitian voodoo which which is really where the the idea of the zombie comes from and one better than that it doesn't just make a zombie movie where the zombie comes from Haitian voodoo, but the entire the entire premise of the movie revolves around this fact, right? It is it is centrally about the legacy of uh, colonialism, of contemporary white European France in 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 sight of the uh, 1960s uh, Haitian uh, slave labor. So it's 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 a, it's a doozy of a movie that has an incredibly um, incredibly uh, exciting and challenging and I think really uh, it, it, it make it makes a stab at something that I think even if you hate it or I don't think you would hate it but even if you don't like it whatever I feel like it's it's so not neutral um, <laughs> it's so not a neutral movie it's so not uh, it's so not an obvious movie. It is doing something that is not like many other things I've seen. Uh, and it is at the very least certainly saying something. Uh, as you know, is it is not an absent or a passive film. There's a lot going on and there's a lot to unpack. Um, and for me, that's a positive uh, because I've seen lots of 
movies that are totally kind of zero sum game where I saw it, I watched it, it's over, I can leave and I'll probably never think of it again. This is for sure not one of those. And, and to me, that's the strongest appeal that I can say without spoilers to anyone, which is just, I think it has uh, an incredible sense of vision. And it is, it is a horror movie that is infused with an incredible historical uh, sense of importance and a really strong sense of perspective and commentary on history. So I think one, um, one way I can describe uh, this particular, the way that this movie works in interesting ways would be to, to describe one scene in, in, in a non-spoiler context, because it doesn't really change the plot at all, that, uh, that really maybe conveys some of the, the craft of the movie. So one of the, the threads here that's the most interesting and unavoidable is the fact that you have parallel narratives, right? You have the story from the 60s, which is about a zombie who is being forced into slavery, who's trying to escape slavery. And then you have these contemporary French uh, young women in a very exclusive private school. Uh, and there is, I think from the onset, a sense that it is, it is kind of necessary to understand the layers and dimensions of this tension in the present between this Haitian student and her peers, that it's necessary to understand that scenario. It's necessary to look at the other scenario, which is to recognize the history from which, uh, or the history of which um, it is shared here. So such that you end up with an, really an inability to look away from the fact that there is an influence on the present determined by the racial politics of the past and particularly the racialized violence of the past. And it manifests in really unusual, unexpected ways. And my favorite one is this. There's, uh, I mean, uh, there's, there's many. I will talk about, I think, others in, in spoilers, but one of them is this. There's just this moment, again, I love moments of singing. I don't know why. I'm really attracted to these like strange moments of singing in, especially in movies where singing doesn't seem to innately belong. Uh, Nice and Skin was a great example of this, uh, but this movie too, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of choir singing. Uh, there's a lot of uh, organized movement. There's a lot of, of very uh, specific dance, which is fascinating uh, and really, really interesting to look at. Uh, but there's one moment that's really not a structured moment that's kind of a late night impromptu moment, which by the way, is there anything more fun than a candlelit secret rendezvous in a like in like the lounge of a of a private girls school where everyone's doing things they're not supposed to. I mean it's so fun. It's it's <laughs> it's a ten out of ten ideal fantasy world. It's just to be only only after hours because during the day everything's just fluorescent and hideous and bright and people are quizzing you about geography but at night when there's just candles and secrets oh it's it's really heavenly i <laughs> it seems like fun anyway uh but but in that situation there's this one moment uh which is just so viscerally uncomfortable uh, and it's all of these girls are sitting around playing uh, a rap song and 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 just singing along with with uh, with pale enthusiasm uh, to this this hip hop song, the nature of which they just don't even fathom or understand. Uh, and and the disconnect from which they seem unable to process uh, such that they just all sing along 
to the song uh, in which the speaker is openly bragging about their blackness and <laughs> self-describing in terms of blackness. Uh, and, and you have this sort of gaggle of young girls uh, just singing along with it with a kind of blind uh, commitment to the universal feeling as though as though as though it's for universal um and and that you know it's what it's what i think the kids today call cringe and and it, it is it is it is viscerally uncomfortable in and of itself and but but, but bear in mind the fact that again this is a movie where we are consistently pulled away from this world and put into this incredibly dangerous sort of scary space of being a zombie in 1962 haiti right so the idea of the the use of editing to parallel the two stories is a device that that really forces to persist the constant awareness of the, the legacy of racism in everyday life in the present and so in occasionally in the world there will be an instance where uh, individuals of all kinds will try to dismiss the legacy or history of racism from the consideration of the present moment as if it were irrelevant because it were past and one of the things that the movie makes vivid is that the past you know the past is never truly past the past the past is is written all over the scene and it in inflects the scene inflects how we feel about the scene inflects how the characters conduct themselves in the scene uh and to tell us that would be one thing but to to use the parallel editing which is a filmic technique to achieve that so that the past isn't actually past because we're living through it in the same the same um, in the same plot moments, uh, beat for beat for beat, as the contemporary story, it makes those things inextricable. Uh, and it, it is just it is it is just so it is so to the moment to think about uh, the way in which people exempt the history of racism from their current conduct or attempt to erase the history of racism from their current conduct, and. And this movie particularly makes that excuse look feeble. And I think that is a really compelling feature here. And something that, again, to add to my pitch for the movie as something that is really, um, really kind of batshit bold in a lot of ways. Uh, I, I think that feature is is really representative of, of kind of what you what you get from this experience. Um, I don't 100% have no criticism of the movie. I'm going to talk in spoilers. I do have some, I have some unresolved confusion about where the movie goes. Uh, and I would just, I would have acknowledged that it's possible that I certainly don't know that I don't know all of French history and I don't I don't know all the things that are being referenced and I don't know the history of voodoo. So maybe it's my own personal lack of information. But uh, this is a, a roundabout self self-centered uh, chat situation. So I'm going to talk about what, what I experienced watching it as we move forward. Um, so if you're interested in spoilers and you'd like to hear me break down all of the bits uh you could stay tuned but if not you can cut away and then rent the movie down the line on digital um this distribution in the u.s is through film movement so if you go to film movements website i'm sure you can find information on where it's playing and when it will be available for digital download um so again if you're uh tuning out for spoilers then uh bye but if you're staying uh please stick around and i'm gonna ring a bell right now Okay, um, so there's a couple of uh, there's a couple of things I really want to break down from the body of the movie, um, and I guess this is just a continuation of what I was saying in non spoilers. I just don't want to give all of those things away in non spoilers because then there's nothing to see when you go to see the movie. Um, 
I'm really interested in the use of, as I was saying, dance and movement and singing in the movie. I think that it's a great choice. It's certainly a very gay choice. Uh, you know, if, <laughs> if you have a choir, I think it's always gay. Um, which, by the way, the, the Laura Dern tribute at the uh, Spirit Awards, uh, it doesn't have to be a gay choir, just a choir. It's just already gay. Um, and I know that's up for debate, but I think I think it's pretty surefire. Uh, but having the having a girls choir uh, sing throughout the movie, and also having these moments of movement. There's this moment I don't even know what it is where the all of the girls are greeting like the headmistress or some sort of supreme being. I don't really know what their title is, and they all sort of like strangely lean backward um almost like a reverse bow i don't know what that is it's totally visually interesting and it's very weird and it has this sort of like magic quality where it, it almost looks like it's footage in reverse um it looks like everyone's leaning forward but they played it backward and maybe that's what it is i don't know if it has any correlation to actual french tradition um but just the the the, the visual of rows and rows and rows of um of homogenous white girls with one african-american girl um which be really becomes the overarching theme of the movie uh but this homogenous group of white girls all doing this strange posture movement um it's just it's just visually i mean there's so much that's visually captivating here and so much that is communicated visually and again i mean i just to like to freeze frame that row of faces and then just M melissa in the frame uh kind of dis distinguished visually so obviously based upon um skin color it, it 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 just encapsulates the whole kind of tension of the movie and the whole drama of her relationship to her classmates um you know there's a lot of so fanny is the the sort of central girl of this uh of the group of kind of white friends that that invite her into their world but with sort of caveats and I mean, that whole drama is really interesting to watch unfold and, and just rings so true to um, my limited understanding of how this works in reality um, as someone who is not a black person. But uh, the fact that like Fanny is the nice one, but even as the nice one, there's still like a vetting process at play. Uh, and there's still a kind of an assessment of her taste and especially her taste in European things, right? That there's a kind of coolness that she has to prove. And in the minds of the girls in the in the school, coolness is some sort of universal constant. But really coolness has to do with a totally European concept of what is quote unquote cool music or what you know what what type of dancing is quote unquote cool. Um, it is a totally Eurocentric measure. And that particular, you know, the tension there, which is the belief that your measure is universal and you can use it to determine whether someone is cool or weird or, you know, anything else, um, is itself a kind of blind consequence of, of a white supremacist thought. It is, it is the complete apprehension of, of thinking through the lived experience of people who are outside of your particular world, uh, or worldview, I guess, rather, would be a better, better way to say it. Uh, you know, and there's, there's this moment late in the movie uh, where, where Melissa has this phone call, who we find out is to, later figure out is to her aunt. Uh, and part of the phone call is just confessing this you know, um, this ambivalence about participating in the, you know, participating successfully in, in being accepted into a, you know, a group of friends that are vetting her knowledge and taste in European things. And her, her personal kind of withholding of her non-European tastes in music and other things um that that there's that there's a real uh personal struggle around what it would mean to tell people what she really likes in music that she maybe likes this european music but she also likes music by artists 
that they, they're not familiar with and what it would mean for her to disclose that in terms of their particular vetting process. Um, and I think, I mean, I think it is the scene, one of the most amazing scenes I think is the scene where she joins the group for, for a few reasons. I mean, one is uh, that they, so they ask her to speak something that is like secret and true and, something no one knows and 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 she basically recites this uh cultural text about the zombie confronting the white world where where she, where, where she really she really situates herself opposite from them and it is an incredibly brave maneuver and it is interesting to watch that uh, in, in as much as the movie is about her wanting to assimilate and wanting to you know, not fall outside of their particular sort of measure of what makes someone cool or worth being in the group, that actually the thing that is her point of access to the group, that is her sort of, you know, secret, sort of vicious, true feeling has to do especially with looking at the white world from the outside as a Black person. Uh, and the, the reaction to that is, cool, you're in the group now. Um, <laughs> uh, and, 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 and what that means and the kind of the shrug of it all and the fact that that happens, but it doesn't really change emphatically the dynamic of the friend group, uh, that's still kind of a white group where she's gained access and, and that perhaps the sort of incredible truth of her you know, tension or resistance from their particular worldview is this point of access. And yet also it doesn't change the fact that they still dominate the perspective of evaluation. Uh, there's just, there's just a lot in, in the movie that where I just feel like, uh, it just rings incredibly true to how flexible yet immobile white supremacy is and Eurocentric thinking is where there's this like ability to take on the critique but not an ability to apply that in a way that makes substantial change and that's really interesting there's also this incredible moment which to me is maybe the moment i most remember and and i'm struck with but from the whole movie uh which is when they go out when they when they leave to go decide whether they're going to accept her uh, there's this moment where she, she being Melissa, uh, like plays music on her phone and dances to the music. And it's, it's striking for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is that it feels very true to a modern experience that there is not any moment of silence. Uh, you know, in movies, we so often see the world represented in this imaginary way where each line of dialogue is spoken individually and that people speak carefully and someone says their line and then someone answers their line and then someone says another line and someone responds to that line and it you know and some filmmakers have really played around with overlapping dialogue or kind of naturalistic dialogue um you know dialogue that has lots of likes and ums and stammers and things that make it feel more spontaneous or feel more like a kind of lived moment where the speech is imperfect and, and it's developing as the thoughts happen. Uh, you know, speaking takes thought and thought takes time and sometimes the thinking and the speaking don't catch up to each other fast enough. Uh, and also, I'm, I'm sort of reminded, too, of the first time that Unfriended came out. Uh, Unfriended, the, the screen life horror movie. Uh, when that movie came out, one of the things that I thought was just really extraordinary about the movie is that it was one of the first movies I had seen that really captured the fullness of every moment. That, uh, that you're not just on Google Hangout or just on Facebook Messenger, or just playing songs on Spotify. You are on Facebook Messenger while playing songs on Spotify, while also listening to your Google Hangout. And that kind of world of capturing the experience of having these moments that are 
over full of communication uh, feels very true to contemporary life in a way that a lot of very sort of staged back and forth dialogue does not. But in this moment where everyone goes outside of the room to essentially to judge her, which P.S., like the fact of the moment is it's such a loaded moment of you're in a situation where you are allowed to, to speak a kind of a critique of the group, but you're doing it at our behest for us to judge you. It's there's so many layers going on there. But anyway, they all go outside to think about it and to judge her. And in the space that she's being judged, where no one's watching her she plays this song and she dances in you know what seems like a very free and loose way that you know are very much in the cliche of or in the way of the cliche dance like no one's watching uh, and there's a few things happening there one is that in in building on what i just said about the fullness of the moment and not taking not you know not having empty space um you know this is a moment where if you're a teenage girl in 2020 uh, you, you, and your friends leave you alone, you're not going to sit there in silence, right? Um, and, we, and I do this too, we all do this. But when, when, when you have this moment of nothingness, there's such an impulse to fill it with, a, with music or with a game or an audiobook. Uh, there's sort of hardly ever nothingness. And so just the fact that the movie takes the time to fill the space with something feels very vivid and, and true to life. Second, the fact that the scene stays with her instead of going outside with everyone else, right? This is, I think, an important juncture because, you know, it's kind of unclear in this particular narrative. Uh, you know, there are two overarching narratives. There's the zombie narrative and the, the school narrative. In the school narrative, who, who is the lead of that narrative feels decidedly split between Melissa and Fanny. And, you know, there are moments where we see more of one's perspective and more of the others, but we could follow Fanny out into to the hall or to the other room and, and hear what they say about her, her being Melissa. But we stay with Melissa, and so there's this moment where we are connected to her privacy. Uh, you know, this is her time unwatched, without any regimented expectation, and we get to experience what she does with that time, which is very much connecting us to her. But then there's this. So the moment of the dance feels extremely liberated, like no one's watching, and this is a space that's totally isolated, and you can do what you want and move how you want, and, and this is what you can do. Um, but, but it is an incredibly, it's a freeing moment and and it, it feels this way but the, the the duality of it and you know I've, I've said this before but anytime you can create a moment that doesn't feel like one thing but feels like five or feels like even two but if you can get it up and up and up and up in increments to to give how many layers you can create in terms of the the man the multitude of feeling the part of the multitude of feeling here is that it is a moment that feels very free and it, so it, it's exciting and it's it it's kind of cathartic because it feels it feels like a very uncontrolled unregimented private sense of dance or movement and we know throughout the movie that her dancing her music those are things that people have judged about her but it's happening in the context that is created by this group of white students determining whether or not she has value based upon their criteria. So it is this moment of liberation, but it's a moment of liberation that happens in a complete, completely confined context at the behest of a ruling class of people. So it is free, but only because they let you have it. It is, it is celebratory, but it doesn't transform the, the restriction of what the social power is. Uh, it, it's like this incredible moment that really feels like it sums up so much of the burden that that character bears, um, being, being sort of the only, uh, the only uh, black student at an all-white school. Um, and this is where I'll get to, <laughs> this is where I'll get to some of my confusion and, 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 and 
potential dissatisfaction, which is, you know, the end, the, the end of the movie, um, it moves in strange ways. There's, uh, there's some hard moments that feel like a break of sorts, uh, particularly when we get to the end of this narrative where Fanny has been writing letters to Pablo, who is her distant boyfriend, who for the first half of the movie I was sure was a secret girlfriend. And I don't know if I'm just always looking for the queer angle, but I really wanted to be a secret girlfriend. Uh, but it turns out it's some dude named Pablo, whatever. Uh, <laughs> some dude named Pablo who's only ever seen in an imaginary forest, who has very limited stakes <laughs> uh and and uh who is kind of a prop of sorts for the plot of the movie uh but she's so in love with him anyway but when 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 they finally break up and the camera pans to her and she's singing in the choir and she's looking really sad oh i love a choir number if you could have a girl's choir where someone is crying the only thing better than a girl's choir in a horror movie is a girl choir girl's choir in a horror movie where someone is crying I don't know why I don't make the rules. It's there's something so beautiful about it and sad and weird and uncomfortable. Uh, but there's that moment where it sort of fades to black and then it, and then we switch to the perspective of Melissa's aunt, uh, who we've never seen before in the movie, and that's a really hard break. And then that thread, you know, I. I'm sure there's something there that can be explained to me, and I'm sure I'll come to better understanding when I rewatch the movie. But that thread is really unusual to me, and um, in, in the one way I'm gonna just like go with it and embrace whatever the challenge of it is. But on the other hand, watching the movie, I just had such joy about everything, and then that particular thread was a little difficult um, for a few reasons. Uh, you know, so Fanny goes to Melissa's aunt, who is a mambo, or a vocalist that participates in voodoo rituals, and asks her to possess her with the soul of Pablo, her boyfriend that broke up with her. Now, I'm... <laughs> Of all of the places I thought the movie might go, that was not one of the ones that I considered personally. Uh, I'm not sure why this is where the movie goes, but it is, nonetheless, it is where the movie goes. Uh, and this is where it gets a little bit strange for me, and I, this is truly where I've been just sitting and thinking. Uh, and I'm going to sit and think out loud. Uh, with you all now, so welcome. Uh, <laughs> you know, so, so, okay, so Fanny asks Melissa's aunt, the Mambo, to possess her with the spirit of Pablo, her ex-boyfriend. Uh, and then simultaneous to this, we cut to present-day Haiti, where the, where the community is celebrating uh, the the anniversary of the death, the second death of the zombie figure from the parallel narrative. Uh, and at this point, his parallel narrative has mostly concluded. Uh, and they're celebrating the, his second death. And we learn, of course, that he was the grandfather of Melissa. Melissa. Am I saying all this right? If, if I'm misspeaking at any point about relationships or names, just forgive me and try and put together the missing pieces. Uh, but he was the grandfather of Melissa and that he was a zombie that after his brother who made him a zombie died, he went back to his wife. And after that was when he was as after he was a zombie was when Melissa's mother and aunt were born. I think I got that right. And uh, and so they're in Haiti. They're celebrating the anniversary of his second death, his sort of true death, so to speak. And uh, and and third narrative. Now we've got three. Third narrative. Um, we're watching Melissa in the girls' school where Fanny is no longer uh, talking to the remaining girls about her family, telling them the story of her grandfather, the zombie, and explaining to them some things about Haitian culture. And she's kind of staging a mock, uh, mock, um, uh, I don't know if altar is the correct word, but a sort of mock uh, 
remembrance for her grandfather. So she's kind of echoing the celebration in Haiti in the school. Um, so one thing I'll throw in here for sure is I have, I don't, do not have enough information to know whether the representations of uh, Haitian culture in this movie are accurate, responsible, insensitive. Um, that information is information I'd be curious to know if anyone has that information. Um, you can email at gayforhorror at gmail.com. Uh, so I can't really, I can't speak to whether that, that any of that's the case. Uh, but if it is insensitive, I feel like this is the moment where it, where that might come in. <laughs> because it gets, this is the only time where the the Haitian traditions are depicted in a sort of like ooky spooky sort of way that kind of, uh, you know, a kind, like, you know, it, it gets, it gets a little more like a horror movie where it seems like things might be getting exaggerated or kind of dislocated from fact. I don't know that that's true. Uh, but I was sort of surprised when the movie took a turn where, the voodoo is scary and you know where melissa in some ways is a little scary and her aunt is a little scary uh mostly because i feel like up till that moment the movie has really kind of honored the the background of those characters and perhaps they still do and perhaps all of this is accurate and and therefore very respectful i don't know but it's this is the point where it kind of veers into a bit of a, a, a it gets a little it gets a little <laughs> it gets a little dicey from from my perspective and i don't know what to make of it and so a lot of my discomfort is that i don't know what is okay here but but still i think i think it is a sort of provocative sort of images and we can talk through what happens what they look like um but in this moment, uh, there's, so the ritual with the mambo goes awry and Fanny gets possessed with the spirit of death, who then chastises Melissa's aunt, the mambo, for, for doing this ritual. Um, now, at first, I didn't have any sense of why any of this mattered. And in fact, to be honest, I really expected in a lot of ways there to be some sort of coalescing between the three celebrations, where somehow the honoring of the grandfather's death and the telling of the grandfather's story would in some way alter the ritual with Pablo. Uh, and to be honest, I really thought that the grandfather was going to possess Fanny and that the movie would essentially end with Fanny being possessed by the grandfather, thereby taking the two narrative threads and making them into one, and also potentially ending on the very unusual image of a young white teenage girl who is the, you know, descended spirit of uh, a, a Haitian zombie. Um, but that's not where the movie goes, and perhaps for the best. Uh, but that's what I thought was going to happen, just because there was they were celebrating his death, and then there was a possession ritual. And I thought, well, this has to, you know, my mind of American horror uh, and things like the skeleton key, uh, <laughs> where Kate Hudson just keeps swapping bodies, um, is you know, is that well, someone's going to like someone's going to possess someone, right? Uh, so you know, it might just be my own stupidity. But I really, uh, I wasn't sure where it was going. And it took me a really long time to get to a place where I feel like I understand a little bit about what was happening. So where I end up is this. I think that uh, I had expected the three strands, the Melissa's narrative, the celebration in contemporary Haiti, and the possession ritual, that they would all come together in some way. Uh, but I don't think they're supposed to come together. I think that the point is that the possession ritual is supposed to stand apart because Melissa's aunt, the Mambo, uh, says to Fanny, you know, uh, like, I can't do this tomorrow, meaning on the anniversary of the death. And Fanny says, no, it has to be, and she throws money at her. So what we have is a incredibly privileged white teenage girl who got broken up with by a goofy boy named Pablo, who is demanding of an adult woman who is a significant figure uh, in, in the voodoo tradition to use her culture and background 
to return the goofy boyfriend Pablo back to her and is willing to throw money at her to make that happen and willing to throw extra money at her to make it happen on her timeline, irregardless of the fact that it flies in the face of the much, uh, much kind of uh, important celebration of the death of this important patriarchal figure in the history of this family and this community. And Melissa's aunt agrees to do it for that money. So I think he, here's where I've ended up where I'm, I understand, I think I understand what happened and, I, and, I, and, it, and it's conducive to the rest of the movie is that the end of the movie is not, you know, it's not some sort of like body swap, spooky what's it. Um, it's about a betrayal of the trust of a community of, of, of family that, that Melissa's aunt was sort of sworn to protect and honor the legacy of the family. And instead she used the anniversary of the grandfather's death to, for cash, um, you know, do a misuse the 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 practices of her culture to accomplish a petty thing for a French white girl, and in turn, the French white girl, uh, in the ultimate extension of appropriation of of wanting to be the rapper in the rap song of thinking that you can uh, you can take the music, the culture of other people thinks that Haitian voodoo exists for it to reunite her with her goofy ex-boyfriend Pablo. Uh, so this becomes the furthest extent of her selfish, you know, uh, completely self-centered and insensitive demand for all things and for all, you know, especially for people of color to serve her and her needs and her wants. Uh, and the extreme surreal expression of that is a teenage white girl and possessed by the spirit, the Haitian voodoo spirit of death, uh, which is a quite a kooky visual sight. Um, and at first I thought the strangeness of that was in, like in was not conducive to the movie and it turned me off. But I, I think I'm coming around where I like the strangeness of that. I like that it goes that far in the strangeness because ultimately that is supposed to be, I think, the biggest affront to the traditions of the family. It's supposed to be ridiculous. It's a, you know, it is, it is the ultimate wrongness. It's, it's like it's the, it's the terrible awful because it's something that is supposed to be honorable, being completely used for petty means for cash exchange. That's where I end up with the movie. Uh, and on that note, I think that's actually a pretty, pretty, pretty appropriate end. Um, but I, but I will say that in the first moments of watching it, I think there is a sort of wave of, wait, what? Um, that, you know, <laughs> that I think can be good. I mean, I've said before, I kind of like things that, uh, that leave you with an impossibility or, you know, a peculiarity rather than a certainty. Um, like, for example, the ending of The Turning, which I defended um, against uh, or, or, you know, contrary to the, the thoughts of many others. Uh, but again, ultimately, it, I think if you think of it that way as like it is a betrayal of the trust of the family and the traditions that she's meant to uphold, then it becomes not, you know, the fact that the, the the three narratives don't coalesce is the point because they actually don't go together. That the the the, the possession narrative is is a complete abomination of the honorable celebration of the life and death of this patriarchal figure, um, you know, who who was taken and then led this, you know, um, really tragic uh, life apart from his family for years, sort of in between life and death, and then eventually did return home and lived out the rest of his life with his wife. That that, that figure, the, the focus should be on celebrating that figure. And instead of the focus being on this incredibly important uh, patriarchal figure in the family, uh, 
that the focus was from in terms of Melissa's and her focus was on serving the particular cash room demands of this French white girl to get her goofy ex-boyfriend Pablo back. Uh, and on that, on, for, on taking it in that way, I'm, I, I really, uh, I dig the end of the movie. But, it, but in the moment, I was, I was much torn up about it. Um, I think that's all I really have to say about Zombie Child. It's, it's a really special movie. And again, there's, especially the moments of dancing and singing and movement, for whatever reason, just strike me as totally sublime and wonderful. And I could watch them over and over again. Um, but so much else in the movie, the way it lays together these two particular strands uh, is so important and achieves something really interesting uh, that for me seems exci- like an exciting choice that, that you know, that really doesn't let let the characters off the hook for what they're doing and doesn't let us as the audience off the hook for, for what we're doing. I mean, it really is, uh, I, you know, much like as I described in the movie, I don't think that m- much changes, uh, at least not instantly, uh, but, but there is a sort of confrontation here and an engagement here, and, and I think that this is... Uh, from that, if you sort of embrace that confrontation or that engagement, there is something to that you, one can take on for oneself and learn about a sort of naivete or cluelessness or ignorance that I think all white people possess. And uh, and perhaps in if you know in mass, if, if small realizations in mass might minusculely and cumulatively enact some form of change. Uh, which is about the most hopeful thing I can possibly say. Uh, so if you made it all the way to the end of this, thank you so much. Uh, if you'd like to email me, you can email me at gay4horror at gmail.com. Uh, and if not, cool. Um, I will be back again to talk about the next thing I want to talk about, which I don't know what it is yet, so we'll find out together. Uh, and until then, I have to say, if you did make it all the way to the end, um, Thanks, but it is true that we do recruit and it is contagious, so you're totally gay now. Bye!